text for this morning is Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. It says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Grass withers, the flower fades, the Word of our God stands forever. Our second theme for Advent season is the theme of peace. There's the four themes of hope, peace, love, and joy that we're going to be looking at and covering during this Advent season. So this week we're on the theme of peace, and peace is a pretty popular holiday theme. You'll see peace, though just even the word, peace, peace on earth. I'm not sure if it comes from the angels, maybe, who will cry out to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest Peace upon earth to all upon whom, his, whom he is pleased. That angels sing out to the shepherds this idea of peace on earth. And so the, the secular culture maybe has kind of grabbed onto this idea of peace. And so we love the idea of peace at Christmas. Well, this morning here in our service, we're thinking on the theme of peace. We also heard in our Advent reading from this morning that Kristen read that uh, in Isaiah 9, 6, that of the increase of his government and of peace, there shall be no end. There will be no end. What do you think of, so as we approach the theme of peace, just reflect for a second. Uh, what do you think of when you think of peace? What, what is the quality that, that uh, would bring you the most peace? What does peace mean to you? What are the things that you would need to be in place for you to feel more peace. What do you need, if, if the holidays are about peace, if this Christmas season is about peace, and you were thinking about your own life, what, what needs to happen in order for that peace to be felt? In order for you to have that peace? You know, if you get online, and I, I don't recommend doing stuff like this, but sometimes just to annoy myself, I... Google things like, how do I find peace? And see what Google turns up. And believe it or not, the internet has a lot of opinions on how you can find peace. And I, I've got something here from Oprah.com, not a place I recommend going and getting a lot of your spiritual counsel and spiritual advice. 
but Eckhart Tolle, another guy I don't recommend going to, but has a, a list of five simple things you can do to experience more peace. Uh, and the reasons why, and he basically lists off the things, the reasons why you don't have peace. Says things like you mistake peace for unconsciousness. I don't know how you can do that. I mean that. You mistake peace for happiness. You keep looking ahead or looking back. I, you're supposed to just look now, not look ahead, not look back. You strain away from the present moment. You don't fully trust yet. There's, there's, there's this opinions that he's throwing out there about how ways, ways that you can circumstantially um, enjoy more peace or feel more peace. Um, I could read through these, but they're just, they're, honestly, they're a little, I don't find them all that helpful. Um, there's another one on positivityblog.com that is listing out all these ways for you to circumstantially find more peace. It says you should set limits. Find relaxation techniques that work for you. Don't make mountains out of molehills. That's, okay, those are, that's decent advice. But what if your mountain's really a mountain? That's, that's my question. Don't make mountains out of molehills. What if what you're facing is actually kind of a big mountain? I, anyway, I don't know. What, can you make a mountain out of a mountain? Can you make a mountain back into a molehill? I don't know. <coughs> Peace says slow down. Your emotions work backwards. If you slow down while walking, moving your body, or talking, which is, I get that advice sometimes, slow down when you're talking, you start to feel less stress. Slowing down to decrease stress goes for many things you do in everyday life, like riding your bicycle, driving the car, working at your desk, and eating. Slow down circumstantially how to find more peace. Declutter your world, declutter your mind. Use a minimalistic workspace. Accept and let go. Escape for a while. I like to read twisty thriller novels. Good for you. Solve a problem. Solve a problem that is weighing down on you. Well, who wouldn't try to want to solve a problem that's weighing? That just kind of seems... Uh, breathe. The tenth one is to breathe. Breathe. And, and they're, obviously, they're talking about deep breathing, which actually, you know, as far as... You can find all sorts of meditative and relaxation techniques that are out there. And to be honest with you, I don't want you to <coughs> come to church. And I, if, if you want like good meditative um, ways to calm yourself, that's not what we come to church for. There, there are people who are out there who are experienced, licensed, whatever, to help you learn how to do <coughs> certain kinds of breathing. I listen to a podcast that has a guy who's very much into um, kind of... Uh, I don't know, meditative sort of uh, metaphysical experiences. And so I'll tell you about box breathing and it's this technique. And what if you want to employ those things, fine. These are all ways that, that the world is trying to increase your circumstantial felt peace. Trying to increase your felt peace. But I want to suggest this morning that there are different kinds of peace we may talk about. There is this uh, subjective or experiential felt peace. There is this subjective experiential felt peace, and there is also objective peace, outside of yourself, known peace. So there's two different kinds of peace we're going to be talking about. Felt peace, subjective peace, experienced peace. That as I sit here, I feel peaceful. And there's another kind of peace, and I'm going to call it a higher kind of peace, that is objective peace, a peace that comes from outside of your felt experience and is a, is, a, is a peace that is known objectively. This peace is true. And rather, the subjective peace always lines up perfectly. Rather, the felt peace 
always lines up with the known peace may vary, but this objective peace is known and does not change. And so when we come to church and, and talk about the issue of peace, I don't want to just give you a bunch of ways to go out and how to help work on your subjective feelings of peace. That's fine and good. But I want to plant in our heads and in our hearts the objective peace from outside of our circumstances. So we're talking about these two different kinds of peace. <coughs> There's a circumstantial peace is what Paul talks about like in Philippians 4-7 when he's talking about praying and he prays for them. You lift up your prayers and requests that the peace of God which surpasses all understanding would guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's the circumstantial peace that Paul does pray for and we should pray for. And it's not wrong at all to desire circumstantial peace and to feel at peace. And when we don't feel at peace, it is right and good and okay to pray and ask, God, I, want to, I wouldn't mind feeling some peace right now. But this felt peace is, is at one level, and we're going to talk this morning about a higher, bigger level of peace that I want you to have. I want to argue this morning that the peace of God, so this is the subjective peace, the felt peace of God, cannot truly be yours until you have peace with God. The peace of God, the peace of circumstances cannot ultimately be yours if you do not have this objective higher peace with God. The peace of God cannot be yours apart from the peace with God. Any peace that we can fabricate or make up or obtain in this life that is absent of ultimate peace with God is a peace that will finally prove to be no real peace at all. If you work hard all your life, you get all your breathing techniques down, you get your money right, you get your relationships right, you get rid of old problems, you don't make mountains out of molehills, you do everything right to experience all this circumstantial peace, but you don't have peace with God, the peace that you have obtained will finally prove to be worth nothing at all. This is not real peace. We are a people building beautiful structures on top of ice swells, on top of ice cubes that are floating closer and closer and closer to the equator. And we think, boy, look how great this building on top of this ice cube I've made as it slowly, slowly, slowly floats further down and begins to melt. We are like the people in our culture. We are like the people who sit at the front of the boat and are just glad we're not at the back of the boat all with all those people who are drowning. <laughs> We're at the front of the boat, and boy, I'm so glad it's dry up here. Those poor people down there, all that down, I've got peace up here at the top of the boat. I'm so glad I'm not down there. Or if you're down there, we think, here's how you get peace. Walk to the top of the boat. Doesn't that make sense? Walk to the front of the boat. It's dry up there. But any peace, if you all, if we could all climb to the top of the boat that is ultimately sinking, that's a short-lived and really a pointless peace, is it not? Is it not? We do not want to be these types of people. There are many in this life who market peace and seem to model peace, but if their peace is not founded upon the ultimate objective peace, it will not prove to be a real peace. When Paul, in chapter 5, verse 1, begins to talk here, he, he uses this word, peace with God. 
Paul grounds, he's going for not the peace of God here in Romans 5.1. He's going for the objective known peace with God. This higher kind of peace, this objective, this known, this true ultimate peace. And how does Paul, so if we're, we're going for then not our circumstantial peace, but our objective peace, how do we get there? Paul says clearly here in 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to ask a few questions of this text of, of just chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If First question is this. If through our justification by faith, we have peace with God, we have to ask the question, did we not always have peace with God? I, I, thought, I thought everything was all cool. God, God loves everybody. Everything is all fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, yeah, you make mistakes, but don't worry. Um, it's, it's all okay. It'll all come out in the end. Try your best. Be authentic. Um, no big deal. Don't we all already have peace with God? How can Romans 5.1 tell us that if we're justified, since then we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. How can, it, how can justification by faith bring us peace with God? We've, all, we've had it all along. Well, the reality is we don't have it all along. We don't have it all along. Peace with God does not exist apart through the justification that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Peace requires enemies. You don't sign peace contracts between you and your agreeable neighbor. You don't, you don't get defense disputes over someone that, you, that you're a neighbor with that you enjoy and get along with. You have to settle fence disputes when you become enemies. You don't like each other anymore and you've got to go to your township and whatever, get your fence thing figured out. So, but peace has to happen between those who are enemies. This is exactly what Paul says on down here in chapter 5 when he says that uh, down we were, while we are weak, die for a righteous person. For if, verse 10, for if while we were enemies, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. This is the case that Paul has built up for four whole chapters. For, for the first three chapters, Paul is building this case of the desperate need of every man before a holy and righteous God. Chapter 1, he talks about the Gentiles. And the Gentiles, those who do not have the law, but have a law that is written on their hearts, they still break the law. And they, they, they uh, reject God and they worship the creature rather than the creator. They worship the creator rather than the creature rather than the creator. This is the Gentiles. They are sinful people. They are far from God. And then he goes on in chapter 2 of Romans to say that even those with the law, the religious people, they think, yeah, all those people outside, they're bad news, but thankfully we get it all right. And Paul says, no. <laughs> they get it all wrong, and guess what? You do too. You do too. And he goes on and just deflates this, this idea of religious hypocrisy that I keep up external, experience, uh, external pretenses, but the reality is my heart is far from God. And he crushes everyone in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. No one, 10b, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands God. No one seeks for God. 
all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Paul crushes us in the reality of our sinful state before a holy and righteous God. We have rebelled. We have walked away. There is no one righteous. The good works that you are doing, that you are attempting, are not perfectly done. When Jesus writes and says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, no one can say, yeah, okay, check that off the list. I've done everything. Every, every ounce of who I am has loved God. All my heart, all my mind, all my soul, my, all my strength. No, it hasn't. It hasn't. And so, as a result, we are at war with God. We are enemies with God. We don't want Him to be king. We want to be king. We don't want Him to be in charge. We want to be in charge. So, through our just, if, if through our justification by faith we have peace with God, did we not always have peace with God? No. We have not. And if our natural state, if we in our natural state are enemies of God, how can we accomplish peace? Okay, so I'll, I'll give the pad, the guy preaching, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Okay, so I'm an enemy of God. All right, tell me, how do I fix it? How do we accomplish peace? If I'm an enemy of God, how do I accomplish peace? You can't. You don't. Romans 3, verse 20 says this, for by works of the law, things that you do, works of the law, even good things, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So if I'm an enemy of God, how do I accomplish peace? How do I earn peace? You can't. You don't. By works of the law, no one will be justified. Get out there and get to work. Get out there and get to work and make God happy with you and you will fail every time. You will fall short. You will turn away. You will disappoint. You will not live up to God's righteous standard. We won't end there. I won't send you home at this point. <laughs> because something, because Paul then goes on, does he not? Paul goes on into verse 20 and 23 and 24. It says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. Propitiation. Big fancy word. You know I love it. Wrath-appeasing sacrifice. Propitiation. Jesus Christ comes to earth and the wrath that we deserve as enemies of God is propitiated, is given to Christ. The wrath that you deserve for your sinfulness is laid upon our Savior on the cross so that justification could come to us, right standing with God could come to us not by our swell performance, but by grace. Through grace, by a gift, we would be given justification, reconciled in His sight, given this by grace as a gift, not your own doing. And Romans 5 goes on, right? And it says, when did we get this justification? While we were weak. While we were still ungodly. What does God do? God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. If we are enemies of God and cannot accomplish peace, 
What takes place to bring about this peace? A Savior is born. A Savior is born. He enters the world. God incarnates. He puts on flesh. He is born. He lives the righteous life we all should have lived. He dies the death that we deserve on a cross so that through repentance and faith, peace with God, with whom we have been at war with forever, peace would objectively be ours. Not felt peace. I'm not talking warm fuzzies. I'm talking objective, solid truth. Justification through faith in the work of this one born that we celebrate on Christmas Day. Born, living the righteous life, taking our wrath upon Himself. Faith in this Son grants, gives justification. And through that justification, Paul says in Romans 5.1, if we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Objective, real, solid truth. True peace. Higher peace. Or I could say, I guess, lower peace. Now I'm going to switch my metaphor around. I've gone high this whole time. Now I'm going to go low. Objective, grounding peace that everything else falls upon this real, huge truth not of subjective feelings of peace that, are, that shift back and forth all the time, but land upon the objective peace of who Christ is for us. Subjective feelings of peace have no bearing on objective realities of peace. Felt feelings of peace have no bearing upon real, objective realities of peace. What I mean by that is this. We're all sitting here and we feel relatively peaceful. But if, if, if someone has geared up their semi, Garth Brooks, what is that song? <laughs> Style is going to run a semi into the church and plow us over. Your subjective feelings of peace, sitting, sorry, sitting back there in this corner, your subjective feelings of peace do not change the objective reality that a Mack truck is coming for you and you're in trouble. Right? Felt feelings of peace really have no bearing on objective truth, objective peace. But if, if this corner now is sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, I hope that doesn't happen. If we were to then go, well, I can't look through this window, but if we were to go look out, of, of the, out this back door and see, oh, you know what, guys? Uh, uh, this is true. There's no Mack truck. They'd have to go through the parsonage. There's, there's nothing coming for you. Objective, you're okay. That bears a lot upon your subjective feelings of peace. Objective, real, true peace will and can and does have an influence on our felt feelings. Our felt feelings? Our feelings of peace. And so what we want to ground ourselves at Advent, what we want to ground ourselves when we talk about peace, is not upon all these, whether I feel peaceful or not, but objectively, do I have peace with what is of infinite importance? Do I have peace with my Creator? Do I have peace with God? Am I objectively at peace? And then resting upon that objective peace, we throw all our subjective feelings of unpeace, of unrest, of, of, of you know, sort of just not feeling it. We lay all that upon the objective truth of God's peace. When it comes to peace, I deeply desire for us all to know and feel and enjoy peace. I want you to feel at peace. My heart, I, I, I want us to have subjective feelings of peace. Of course I do. 
That's why I want to ground us all on the objective reality of your peace with the one who matters most through your justification through Jesus Christ. Grounding yourself on that peace so that subjective peace comes in and out. But, but it never, never sways the objective peace we have with Christ, with God through Christ. So I got in my closing, I'm going to get a little personal here. Uh, I, I've made a point that as Darla and I, and Darla has been going through all this stuff and, and my family is struggling with our, uh, our current suffering, I, I've made a point to just, I want to I make a lot of Jesus. I don't want to ever use this as some sort of a grounds for myself. What you need is Jesus. What I need is Jesus. And I've worked hard and I hope you've caught that that's a subversive, that kind of subliminal message. Jesus matters most. But at the same time, I, I, I was listening to a podcast yesterday and I kind of was convicted that, that there's, a, there's a sense in which I might be doing a disservice to you by not really letting you see how that suffering works out in my life and how, how that works out in a practical level. And, and it's dangerous for a couple of reasons. And the first reason why it could be dangerous is you might come to believe that I expect the Christian life to be nothing but strong, Christ-centered, Christ-focused, Christ-exalting, Christ-gazing worship, just happy, clappy, skipping along life. That, well, Darren just gets up and he just talks about Jesus and he's going through some stuff. So I guess... He expects the Christian life to just be nothing but one great, powerful, boy, I'm knocking this thing out, life. And I don't want you to think that. And the second danger is that if you have that expect, if you think I have that expectation, if you think I'm trying to say that's what the Christian life is, when your life isn't, you'll feel like, I don't know, Darren's got something I don't. I guess there, I guess I, I, I guess there's something I, I'm missing. And I don't want this to go on. Some people think the only way to have a Christian testimony is to craft some story of how bad life was then, and now I got Jesus, and boy, everything's great. I was sad here, and golly, now I'm happy. And, I, I, and things went bad here, and well, guess what? I, I come to Jesus, and everything's just gone up and up and up. And they cra- I listened to a guy, and he was at a chapel service at a seminary, and his testimony just was basically that whole idea. Once was I once was sad and happy, and now I'm happy. And it's, uh, that, and it, it infuriated me. It infuriated me because for two, two reasons. First, the guy was lying. There's no way that's the reality, unless he's totally delusional. He was lying, and the second thing is he was crushing all of his listeners with this expectation. So, here's my experiential reality. I am struggling to find peace. That... Life turns you upside down and you sit down and you want, to feel, you want to feel subjective peace, but you don't know what's around the corner. And it is, it is unnerving. Anyone ever experienced the unnerving feelings of, I don't know what's next. Life has gone upside down. This, you know, you get that phone call. You ever get that phone call that changes? Your life goes from pre-phone call to after-phone call. And, and it steals away your subjective peace. And so you, you struggle and you wrestle. And I show up and I go into the office this after Friday afternoon. I had a few hours and I was just sitting down and I'm working on a sermon on peace and I'm struggling just to even feel peace. Struggling just to even feel any sense of peace. This is my experiential reality. It isn't anti-Christian 
to hurt when hurtful things happen. It isn't anti-Christian to hurt when hurtful things happen. It isn't anti-Christian to be sad when sad things happen. To be upset when upsetting things happen. It's okay. I want you to know that I understand and it is okay to struggle. Everyone has a struggle and everyone's struggle is legitimate. I want you to know I understand. It's legitimate. It's okay. At the same time, I want you to come with me and ground your peace not upon subjective feelings, but on objective truth. I just want you to come with me <laughs> and not, not let your life be lived upon whether I feel this peace in this moment, but to just flop yourself down on the objective truth. I have a Savior. What is of most importance in my life that I would be reconciled to this God that I am an enemy of in my sinful life, that He would send His Son to take my wrath upon Himself so that I could be forgiven by faith, repentance, and I could have objective peace with God. My feelings are all over the place. And I throw myself, and I want you to come with me and throw yourself upon the objective truth that if you have been justified by faith, you have peace with God through Jesus Christ. We have a darling, I have a friend, and you many of you know her, that's going, has gone through a very serious battle with cancer, and she's back in Texas right now. She's going to get some more scans tomorrow to see if, if anything's come back. And she has what they call, if you're a cancer survivor, scanxiety, scanxiety, or whatever the hell they say that, that you have this anxiety about your scan. It's coming up, and we're worried about it. And she's got some, some not feelings of peace. She feels some unrest. Her subjective peace is shaking pretty well. And it's okay for her to admit, I've got this. My feelings of peace are pretty <laughs> mobile right now, loosey-goosey. We grieve and we wrestle as best as we can alongside of her. And at the same time, at the same time that we say it's okay to admit my peace meter is all over the place. Subjectively, it's okay to say those things. At the same time, not instead of feeling that, but alongside of feeling that, know this. Justification through Christ. You have peace with God. Not instead of, but alongside of the confession, confession of that subjective lack of feeling peace, we confess that she possesses a peace with God that nothing can steal away from her. If her peace cart, or if she has got a cart of peace, and if her peace cart gets thrown upside down and it comes out bad, or if her peace cart stays on the rails and everything is okay, no matter if it gets thrown or if it goes straight, this subjective peace cart will not change one iota the objective reality. She has peace with God. In your life, if your peace cart, hey, stays on the rails, thank God. Yay, I'm, I'm, I would celebrate with you. And if your peace cart gets thrown upside down and all the apples in it get run over, it does not change one iota, one molecule of the reality that if you're justified by faith in Christ, you have peace with God. It is yours. It is yours. So when we come to Advent, the joy that there is in knowing this peace, 
I want you to know this peace. I want you to have this peace. Objective, high, real, true peace. And when all of these feelings of peace go back and forth, we ground ourselves to this one. We ground ourselves to this one. That if then we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, help us. I want to rejoice at big ideas, big truths, big realities. We waver back and forth and fluctuate through so many emotions, God. You are constant. You are steady. You are true. And Father, give us eyes to see the objective, true reality that those who have come to you in repentance and faith, trusting in the work of Christ, they have peace with you. And nothing in this life can steal that away or change it one single bit. And God, may we this Advent season long for the day when you return and finally set up that real, felt peace forever. And we pray until that day, come Lord Jesus, come. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.